You're listening to Emma Seppala on Radio Free Leader. Welcome to Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Burkus, best-selling author and a recovering academic, and this is the show that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Each episode brings you an outstanding thinker to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date with Radio Free Leader and get some great stuff we don't share on the show by joining our community. You can sign up on the show notes page for this episode at davidberkuscom slash 726 or text Radio Free to 33444. We'll even get you caught up with our Radio Free Leader Starter Kit. This is a collection of our most popular episodes of all time sent right to your email inbox. Again, that's davidberkuscom slash 726 to check out the show notes or sign up to join our community and get the Starter Kit. Or in the U.S., you can text Radio Free, all one word, to 33444. Today's episode features Emma Seppala. Emma is a brilliant mind. She is the founder of an amazing publication called Fulfillment Daily. She's the author of a book called The Happiness Track and a bunch of other things that brings the science of happiness and fulfillment, motivation, and even achievement all within the realm of the practitioner so that we can use these things to live a better life, do better work, and lead smarter Emma and I had an amazing interview. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about what is happiness, what triggers happiness, what doesn't trigger happiness, and interestingly enough, even some career advice for should we be focusing on our strengths versus our weaknesses, Should how far should we be pushing achievement, etc. Emma even corrected some of my own thinking during this interview and while reading her book. And so it was a moment of shift for me as well. I obviously want to encourage you to check out the book, The Happiness Track, but I definitely want to encourage you to listen to the whole interview and maybe you'll go through what I did as well, which is change your mind about a few things and realize there are probably some tweaks in your life and in your leadership that you could use to be a little bit happier and lead a little bit smarter. So without further ado, our interview with Emma Seppala. Who are you and what do you do? I'm the science director of the Stanford University Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. I'm also author of The Happiness Track. So I, um, that's it. (laughs) See, so I know you well enough to know that you do far more than that. But I also know that according to The Happiness Track, if you were just so focused on those two things in work, you wouldn't be all that happy. So uh, beyond that, I'm sure you do far more than that. Am I right? Well, I'm also the parent to an 18-month-old, and um, and I'm also um, the editor-in-chief of a website dedicated to happiness science called Fulfillment Daily. And I, I really see the happiness track as kind of the, the not the book form of Fulfillment Daily, but the natural progression of Fulfillment Daily. I mean, there's thousands of people that... that get affected positively by learning more about the science of happiness through Fulfillment Daily. And that, to me, that seemed like it was the goal of the book, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Was that sort of just this next progression of the uh, the website was to kind of take these ideas and put them in a book to help people? Or was there, other, there, was there a different inspiring moment to, oh, I really need to get this in a book to get it out into the world further? Great question. I started Fulfillment Daily because a lot of people came to me and kept saying, we really need a website where there's all of the science on positive psychology and happiness. And so I thought, all right, let's do this. Um, But the book actually came out of something else, a real pain point that I saw 
I saw, especially among high-achieving, very successful people, that they were buying into this misconception that in order to be successful, they had to postpone or even sacrifice their happiness. And so here I was in Silicon Valley at Stanford, universities like Yale and in New York City with these incredibly, quote, successful people, yet so many of them were driving themselves into the ground. Um, we're seeing 50% burnout rate across industries. 70% of the American workforce is disengaged, as I'm sure you know. And so these kind of statistics are shocking to me, and they all go together. And if you look at the data, again and again, you see that if you take care of yourself and the people around you, you're actually going to be more charismatic, make better decisions, have a better, more emotional intelligence, be more creative, more focused, more productive. I mean, the list goes on. And so I really wanted to, to write the happiness track um, to, you know, to give people, first of all, a sense of relief that there is a better way. You can be happy and get the things done you need to. Yeah, well, I think that's what really compelled me about the book and to sort of dive into some of those ideas is I think we definitely like, I don't know if it's unique to America or if it's unique to sort of across in all countries and all cultures to the people who strive to be high achievers that there seems like there's just a tolerance of the idea that it's going to be stressful, it's going to be hard work, we have to stay focused. Uh, and we and we have to sort of prioritize that in order to achieve that level of success. And so the idea that there's research that you know, daydreaming every once in a while, losing losing focus a bit, going home and enjoying your family and friends can actually make you more productive when you get there. Because, you know, we're at least in the United States, we're the land of, you know, the 90 hour work week. And it seems Absolutely. like there's a there's research now that oh that's that's probably not the, the best way to do this. I think a lot of the people who regularly listen to the podcast, too, we sort of buy into this idea that if you, if you want to be successful, you have to sort of drive at, at all costs. But I love and I think most of our listeners will will love hearing about the fact that no, actually stepping off the throttle a little bit can actually make the car go faster. Yes. And in fact, I'm originally from France and um, I have obviously lived in the US for 20 years. And then I lived in China for a couple of years. And I, I saw an, a lot of different approaches to happiness and well-being. Um, but you know, one thing that we know is that the US is driven by two things. One is the Protestant work ethic. And at its origin, um, that Protestant work ethic is this idea that you have to prove your eyes in the your, your worth in the eyes of God through your life's work, <clears throat> and we're also very much influenced by the immigrant work culture. So the the ancestors of this country had to very much pull themselves up by their bootstraps, be very tough, and work very hard. And so those are two very influential factors um, that have turned the U.S. into such an industrious, um, innovative place. The problem is that for many Americans, life is work, and that is actually burning them out, and they're actually accomplishing less than, than they would if they actually were to take more care of themselves, if that makes sense. And that's what I found, um, and that's what I write about. Yeah, so here's where, where what I really liked about the happiness track that was good for me, because uh, here's where it always breaks down. I think it's so easy to hear that lesson and realize the person who's doing the, the disengaging job that really bores them and frustrates them. And yeah, it's obvious that maybe they should be a little less focused because that work is killing them. But like, if you th I think about my own life and probably yours too, like I really love what I do, right? And I, and I, I do it in such a way that like people always joke about. No one ever said I wish I would have spent more time at work on their deathbed. I kind of feel like maybe I might. So like, what's what's <laughs> what's wrong with that? I'm sure you're in a similar similar boat where the work that you do really actually does engage you and and energize you, but we're still at risk of burnout. So how how do you sort of figure out what that right level is when you actually enjoy the work? Absolutely right. And I do very much enjoy uh, most of my work. 
Um, yeah, I should say uh, most. I don't enjoy everything I do, but you know. <laughs> yeah, and but the the question here is, for example, my my work involves a lot of creativity, and it, I know that I have gotten my greatest insights on moments in moments when I was out on a hike or I was um, taking a walk, and the or I was meditating. And again, if you look at the data, we get our creative bursts or aha moments when our brain is in delta wave mode, when we are in a state akin to daydreaming, uh, to deep relaxation. It's that state you're in right before sleep, for example. And that's why we will get those bursts of inspiration right at those seemingly inconvenient times. Or when we're in the shower, we realize the solution to a problem. And that is all because when our brain is in that very deeply relaxed mode is when we're more likely to, um, to have those breakthrough moments. And <clears throat> so, for example, if your field involves creativity and you are constantly focused, so I'm in Silicon Valley where I see people so intensely focused on doing the next big disruptive thing, but they're not stopping. They're constantly working. They don't even stop to eat or stop to exercise. They're actually shooting themselves in the foot. If they were to actually stop, actually do something different, actually relax, um, they're probably more likely to find a solution. Yeah, Silicon Valley, this is the one place where you'll get targeted for ads on on full drinks that have all of your nutrition because you don't even have time to eat. So if you can just drink something in 30 seconds and get back to work. Yeah, totally. I, I get some of those ads sometimes on Facebook and Google, et cetera, and it just it boggles my mind because things like, who who needs this? Who is that focused <laughs> that they can't take? Anyway. Um, no, and, and, I, and I think you're you're absolutely right that not only is it, I mean, not only is it going to create sort of burnout, you're actually depriving yourselves of some of the insights, et cetera, that you, you need. I know in my first book, The Myths of Creativity, we wrote a lot about incubation and the importance of incubation in that. Mm -hmm. There's another myth that really intrigued me um, because the, the research is kind of, at least that I've seen, is sort of mixed on this. And there are huge advocates, and I've even at times been an advocate of this idea of focusing in on your strengths staying away from your weaknesses, et cetera. But, but you actually say that's kind of, a, kind of a myth, that we don't need to do that uh, the entirety of the time. We might actually be depriving ourselves by doing that. Yes, because if we uh, have a very strong idea of what our uh, niche is and of what our talents are, if we think, for example, like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer, I am not a numbers person, uh, we're actually creating a situation where we never stretch past our boundaries. We don't get out of our comfort zone and we don't actually discover the limits of our abilities. We don't discover our potential. And research has shown again and again that having these various constraining self-beliefs about what you can and cannot do um, leads to, um, uh, to, to you actually um, operating within a much smaller sphere of your own potential. And so that's why, um, again, but this goes back to the creativity thing as well, is that when you are very, um, uh, when I've interviewed some of the most creative individuals that I knew, and, and I'm sure you've, you have too, um, and what I've noticed about them is they make time for reading outside their field. So they do things that are completely different from their field. Um, they make time for silence, things like meditation, retreats. Um, and, and they make time to, to play, to have fun. They're uh, very playful individuals. And what we know is that all these three things, again, actually can help 
um, give you those breakthrough ideas. So being able to uh, learn something completely different from what you do every day, being able to really diversify your activities triggers your creativity. It makes complete sense because it allows you um, to draw lines between points that you otherwise would not have seen because you needed to have that mental exercise of doing something different, doing something that stretches your mind, for example. Yeah, I, I mean, I we I called this being T shaped. I think at, at one point in writing something or other, I know it was in the midst of creativity. This idea of you know cultivating a working knowledge of lots of other stuff, and the genius really lies yes. in figuring out how to take it from one domain to another, et cetera. Okay. Yes, yeah, absolutely so, right. So I have I have one other question in regards to the book, and this is really this might actually be me hijacking the whole podcast to just sort of you know use you for some free counseling. But, I, I mean, it, I think it's this idea. A, a lot of us are, are really driven. We we want to build our business. We want to build our, our our creative work, whatever it is. And there's that idea of just kind of keep striving, keep trying to accomplish, keep looking to sort of that next hurdle. And I mean, obviously, for, you know, I know that you've got to kind of pay attention to gratitude and take times to sort of uh, remember. But how I mean, how do you how do you deal with that? We know it's not good from the research to just keep striving to accomplish. But like, what advice do you have for people who, as soon as they accomplish one mountain, they're looking to that next mountain, etc? How do we kind of balance that? I mean, to some extent, I think we need that to do any work. But yeah, we also need to keep that in check. How do we do that? Well, for one, uh, we know that um, it's first of all, it's important to have goals, ambitions, aspirations, no doubt. The only problem comes is that when we're constantly focused on the future is that we're actually much less productive in the present moment. Um, secondly, we become very stressed because um, a mind that's in the future really increases your stress levels. We can talk about that after. And then the third thing is it impacts your relationships. So we know, for example, that individuals who, uh, who are highly charismatic, usually we would think, oh, they're born that way. No, they have this incredible ability to be so present that they connect with other people in powerful ways. So you hear about Bill Clinton, for example, and how did he make people feel? Apparently he makes people feel like they're the only person in the room. And so he has this incredible charisma. Well, what is that? That is the ability to be so incredibly present. And we know from so much research now that your relationships matter, whether it's with your employees, whether it's people at your level or people above you. Those relationships are key. And your ability to be fully present with another person will make an incredible impact on your career. So that ability to be present, we also know from happiness research that not only are you going to be more productive, but you're never happier than when you're present right now, even if you're doing something you don't want to be doing, you are happiest when your mind is with whatever it is you are doing. So whether you're talking about success or happiness, it's one and the same here, that ability to be present. Think about you know your taxes or something you had to do, which you were dreading, and you're, the deadline's up, you've got to do it. All of a sudden, you're doing it. You're doing it 100% because you're running out of time. In that moment, you'll feel like, oh my gosh, I'm actually kind of enjoying this. And why? Because you're present. You're completely present. You're not resisting it. You're with it. So that's um, so that's you know one of the arguments. I could talk, also talk about this um, idea that you can't have success without stress because I think it's very linked um, to that that first idea of never stop stopping accomplishing, and that's that you know we buy into this idea that in order to get anything done, we have to be so fueled up with adrenaline. And that's why people overschedule themselves. They overcommit. They wait till the last minute to get things done. And they fuel up on coffee after coffee after coffee or whatever uh, beverage of choice involving caffeine. And there's this idea that this is the only way to get things done. And yet... If you look again at what we're doing to our system, when we're and we've you know we've heard you know ad nauseum the research on stress, but 
think about what it is when we're doing. We're actually in this permanent state of fight or flight like the entire day. And as a consequence, people come home at night and they're just so exhausted. And it's like, well, why? You just sat on your butt all day unless you, you know, unless you're a construction worker, you know, then you're justifiably exhausted. But if you're just sitting there, why are we so tired? Why are we so burnt out? Why are we collapsing at the end of the day, but also jittery and needing like alcohol just to go to sleep? It's because of this um, constant activating of, activation of the fight or flight uh, stress nervous system, basically. And um, what we're doing is we're burning out. We're using up our energy. And we're also impairing our cognitive abilities because over time, constantly activating that sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight nervous system, impacts your attention, your memory, your immune system, and starts to slowly break down your body by increasing inflammation at every, uh, at the whole, um, uh, the, at your, the level of your entire um, body. So what we're seeing is it's, it's a problem. Yet when you're tired or when you need to keep going, people always joke, here I go, I'm going to go get another coffee. So um, there's a lot of benefits to actually learn to tap into the other side of your nervous system, which is your parasympathetic nervous system, which allows you to calm down, to cool down. And I've done research with some of the most stressed individuals in our society, veterans um, with trauma. And, you know, just using a very simple technique, breathing, we found that they are able to calm themselves down within minutes. Blood pressure goes down, heart rate goes down. And we know that that's very, very powerful. And yet it's a tool we have used. Um, so I, I, I could go on and on about this. And, you know, individuals will think, oh, my gosh, how can I get anything done if I'm calm? Well, that's actually the secret managing your energy. You'll get a lot more done without the exhaustion and with a lot better decision making and better emotional intelligence, too. Yeah, I, I actually remember in your TEDx talk, I, I've stolen it and use it uh, every once in a while. I, the simple, <laughs> breathe, you, you I mean you talked about the breathing technique, but it really is actually simple, right? It's it's in for a count, breathe in for a count of four, hold, and then release, right? And, it, and it's amazing how quickly you actually can um, sort of simmer down. Uh, truth be told, I I actually use it at night when I'm trying to shut my mind off and go to bed. Right, of just trying to close everything out and just focus in on my breathing as I'm laying there trying to fall asleep. I don't know if you do that, but it's worked really well for me. Yes, and that is just one of the breathing techniques, you know, that that actually saved one of these veterans' lives. But um, it, it, it's so powerful, the breath. It's funny because even our agent, who you know, we we share an a, a book agent, um, he said that after reading my book, he started using breathing practices and how it's like really changing his life. <laughs> and um, it's so powerful, and it's something I just want to share with everyone because it's free. You have it; it's at your disposal, and it's your ability to calm your own mind. It's very ancient, you know. The yoga tradition has talked about it for millennia, um, and yet here we are, just constantly unable, like you said, to shut down our mind unable to shut down our anxiety or whatever. So we're seeing a lot of medication being used, a lot of alcohol being used just to calm down. And yet um, we have these innate tools. And that's what a lot about the happiness track is about. It's, it's just sharing these innate tools you already have to get back to balance so you can be happier and you're going to get more done and, and be more successful just naturally because of that. Yeah, no, I absolutely loved it. And I will put a, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the TEDx talk so people can hear about that story about the veteran and his life saved through breathing. It's also um, the breathing ideas and techniques are in, in the book, The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success. Emma, I, I wondered, as always we do around this time in the interview, if we switch from the book to you and ask you our five questions for all sure. guests. The first one, what's the best advice you've ever received? And don't say breathe. <laughs> Um, well, I don't remember if I heard this or if I experienced it, 
But to me, the greatest secret to happiness is to share it with others, to help others. And the quote that I live by is by Rabindranath Tagore, and it goes like this. I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service was joy. What's an average day look like for you? An average day wakes up, I wake up between 4.30 and 5 with our little 18-month-old who serves as the little alarm clock. Um, and um, I take care of him until uh, his nanny comes or you know, my husband sometimes when he's here, he will take care of him. And then I will do my uh, little mini yoga breathing meditation routine. And, um, and then I start my work day after that. Uh, which uh, currently involves a lot of writing um, and uh, and also working at the the Stanford Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, and um, I'll, I often travel for talks as well. And then around uh, five, um, I'm with my little my little 18 month old again, Michael, and taking care of him through his bedtime. And then I'm in bed pretty shortly after that because I'm going to be woken up between 4:30 and 5 again. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I can... And I do meditate one more time in the afternoon at some point, fit it in. And when I can, I take a walk or I spend a little time outside, which to me is another profound um, predictor of well-being, just to be with nature a little bit. Awesome. And and I hear you on that getting to bed uh, early thing. I used to feel ashamed going to bed sometimes at like 8.15, but no, with two, we have two boys and they wake yes. us up pretty early. So I have no shame anymore of going to bed no. while it's still light out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Third question. What are you reading right now? I'm reading right now. Well, I was just asked to blurb a book called America the Anxious. So I just, I was just reading that yesterday because I blurbed it. Um, what else am I reading? Um, I just read, I read an incredible, well, I, I met an incredible woman uh, who had five kids, three of which had fragile X syndrome. And she wrote a book called The Fragile Face of God. And um, I was so touched by her story. Just uh, fragile X is probably, it's like the most, a uh, severe case of autism you can have and to be a, a kind of a single mom with five kids like that it was just so intense but she had these deep profound uh spiritual and um uh spiritual realizations i guess through her and she was she had such an impact on me when i met her that i read the book and it was so incredible that i couldn't stop reading it and in fact i just sent it to our agent giles and he's going to He's going to um, bring it to publishers because it was self-published, and I do believe it's going to be a bestseller pretty much overnight. That's awesome. You can, you can buy it on Amazon, though, if you want to get a head start, Fragile Face, The Fragile Face of God. Yeah, awesome. And again, we'll put a link in the show notes page uh, for this episode as well. What do you believe that most people don't? Yeah, I believe that there's something much greater at work uh, whenever I'm speaking or running and that's much greater and bigger than I am um, that is inspiring me and I don't know if it's a muse I don't know if it's the universe I don't know if it's divine but it's something greater than me because I couldn't come up with half the stuff <laughs> so final question the, the title of the show is Radio Free Leader in, in your view what makes someone a leader? what makes someone a leader is someone who is able to inspire other people so much through their own deeply held values, ethics, and behavior that anyone would just drop everything to follow 
Um, and I think we've seen that in people like Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, you know, oftentimes leaders will think I have to pay people more, give them more benefits in order for them to work for me. Um, and yet again and again, if you look at these leaders like Martin Luther King, the Mother Teresa's, they didn't give anybody anything. In fact, they may, if they did anything, they just put them to work. <laughs> and people to this day, those are leaders we think about. And so those are the most profoundly inspiring and amazing leaders that are out there. Oh, I love it. So the book again, The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success. Emma, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. Thank you, David.